103. Psalm 103 is of David. And David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over in it, <clears throat> excuse me, and it is gone, and his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the Lord that we've come to worship today. Uh, I want you to notice in that psalm that David talks about fearing the Lord over and over and over again. And then he actually defines what fearing the Lord means. Fearing the Lord is obeying or keeping his commandments. That's what it means to fear, to fear the Lord. So when we do that, we have the blessing of the Lord resting all over us. He's with us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's, and we're, we're with him, and he's with us, and we can't ask for anything better than that. So we're going to uh, sing some songs of praise to the Lord today. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
Nothing worth more than will ever come close. 
can be seated. Morning. Now is the time in the service for communion. If you are a member of the body of Christ, and we invite you to join us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant that is mentioned in verse 25 is a covenant that God made with his people. And that covenant is that through the broken body and spilled blood of Christ and through his death on the cross that our sins are forgiven. So each time we take communion, we're reliving Christ's death on the cross. His bones were broken when they nailed him to the cross and his blood spilled when they shoved a spear in his side. By eating the bread which represents his broken body, and drinking the juice, which represents his blood, we remember his death on the cross, and that our sins, if we repent and ask for forgiveness, are forgiven. Taking communion serves as a fulfillment of the covenant in which God has made with us, that through Christ's sacrifice, if we live a life worthy of him, that we'll spend eternity in heaven. So as you go through the process of communion, don't take it lightly. Examine yourselves, repent if needed, and then enter into prayer and communion with him in remembrance for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for bringing us all here safe today. Bless this, this communion we are about to take. Let it serve as a reminder that you are the Alpha, the Omega, and the beginning and the end, and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Use this communion to draw us even deeper with you, and let us never take it lightly, remembering that you died so we may live. 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, bring your empty pill bottles in. We can donate them to Matthew 25 Ministries. There is a um, plastic bin in the foyer area um, that you can drop those off when you come in. Next to that bin is another bin for used ink cartridges. Bring them in also and uh, we'll save on your trash and we will use them to reduce costs here for office supplies at the church. Food pantry, closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Um, donations can be dropped off here during the same time or Sundays after service. If you know someone who would like to donate, you see a post on Facebook. Um, that is when we're accepting donations. Uh, Refit free dance fitness class, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. Empty nesters, women of the Bible um, book. They're um, discussing that every Thursday at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's home. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, um, talk to Sharon Ponchot. 
Mellon Ridge Ministry is today at 2 o'clock. We will be bringing worship to the residents of Mellon Ridge facility. Lunch will be provided after service for those that are going to be taking part in that ministry. Master's Men is going to be singing next Sunday, Palm Sunday worship, um, at 10.30. So our normal service time, but we'll have um, a group of guys up here called Master's Men. They did it last year, too, and it was really a great time. Um, I will tell you, you want to get here a little early, otherwise you'll be standing room only. <laughs> um, next, not next Friday, uh, two Fridays from now, we'll have Good Friday service. Um, it's April 7th in the evening at 7 p.m., so mark that in your schedules to be here. Goshen Community Easter Egg Hunt is April 8th um, at 11 a.m., um, Messages will be going out. If you're not getting texts or emails from the church and you're interested in it, um, let me know. Send me a text. Tell me after service. We'll get you written down so that you're getting updates on, hey, what's tomorrow? Hey, am I supposed to bring something? Hey, do we have breakfast? You know, those kinds of things. So we can send those out. Um, so the egg hunt is April 8th at 11. We, Heartland's going to be collecting 5,000 eggs. We're going to fill them with candy, stickers, and small toys. You're welcome to do that on your own and bring them in or bring everything in separately, and we'll pick a night to do that. Um, we do need some help that day. It's a Saturday morning, so we'll get there about 9.45. Sarah Simpson in the black hair in the middle. Um, she will be um, leading this event, but there's a sign-up sheet out there, so if you would like to be there to help out, on these kids, it takes five minutes for them to pick up these eggs. It's really amazing to see them, but it's a good time, so we'd love for you to join us. Um, breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is better when we eat together, so come and get to know someone. Four ways to give in person, the offering boxes in the back, um, online, uh, via text, and in the Faith Life app. Um, last thing, Area Christian Women's Fellowship Dinner is going to be Thursday, April 20th. Um, payment is due next Sunday to Sharon Ponchot. There are little blue half-sheet flyers out there on the welcome table. If you're a lady and you'd like to go to this dinner, it's really a great time. They usually have one in the spring and in the fall. Um, and they go to different churches, and they have different um, missions that they talk about and um, just have time for prayer and worship, and just it's a good time. So take one of these if you're interested. Also, I do have the April calendars out already because next week starts April and we have a youth event that we want to do um, and the food and fellowship. So I want to get those dates out early on so you guys can plan to join us. So let's jump into the Word together. So turn together our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read verses 5 to 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, I have two scriptures listed up here, Luke 7, 1 through 10. We're not going to read that. That's just, uh, we will reference some of those things during the message. I'm not going to read both of those, but this gives, uh, Luke's uh, account of this story gives us a lot more detail, so we'll talk about some of that. So, uh, the title of today's teaching is, A Saving Faith in Jesus. In Matthew 8, 5 to 13, the scriptures say, when he came into Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking him for help, saying, Lord, my servant lies in the house, paralyzed, grievously tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having under myself soldiers. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes. And tell another, come, and he comes. And tell my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Most certainly, I tell you, I haven't found so great a faith, not even in Israel. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Let it be done for you as you have believed. His servant was healed in that hour. You may be seated. What kind of faith do we need to be saved? What kind of faith do we need to be saved from Satan and sin, from demons and death? Well, Matthew answers that question in today's passage. Here we learn about a non-Jewish Jewish centurion, also called Gentiles, who was a model to all of Israel and to all of us of what a saving faith in Jesus looks like. Today we'll learn five truths about a saving faith in Jesus and how those truths apply to us. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we ask you to open our eyes to the truth and give us grace to practice the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first truth we learn about the saving faith in Jesus is a saving faith recognizes the lordship of Jesus. So the first thing we need to notice in Matthew 8, 5 is this person who approaches Jesus. Matthew says, when he came into Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking him for help. So Matthew says a centurion came to Jesus and asked Jesus to help him. And this is very significant because of who centurions were. Now at this time, the Jews were in subjection to the Romans. And centurions were commanders in the Roman army. And these guys were the real deal as far as military men go. They were known for being intelligent, fearless, and self-sacrificing. And they worked their way up to the rank of centurion by showing superior fighting skills and bravery in battle. And their powerful presence was a constant reminder to the Jewish people that they were subjects of the Roman Empire. So this powerful Roman commander, this symbol of Roman authority, comes to Jesus, a Jewish man, a subject of the Roman Empire. He comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to help him. And in Matthew 8, 6, Matthew tells us what the, centurity, what, centurity, what the centurion needed help with. He says, Lord, my servant lies in the house paralyzed, grievously tormented. In Luke 7, 2, Luke tells us the centurion's servant was very dear to him, and he adds that the servant was sick and at the point of death. So this symbol of Roman power and authority realizes he is powerless over the sickness that had his dearly loved servant tormented, paralyzed, and knocking on death's door. So he came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus to heal his servant. But why would he come to Jesus? Well, Luke tells us in Luke 7, 3, Luke says, when he heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and save his servant. So I want you to notice that the word save and the word heal here are used as cinnamon, cinnamon. That's, that's uh, I guess I'm hungry, I need some cinnamon rolls or something. Synonyms, they, are, they mean the same thing. Saved and healed are used synonymously. Maybe I'll say it that way. <laughs> 
So the centurion had heard the news that was spreading about Jesus. He'd heard, as Matthew says in Matthew 4, 24, he'd heard that people brought to Jesus all who were sick, afflicted with various diseases and torments, possessed with demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So the centurion had heard that Jesus was healing all who were sick with various torments and were paralyzed, and his highly valued servant was sick, tormented, and paralyzed. So the centurion came to Jesus and pleaded with Jesus to heal his servant, to save his servant as Jesus had healed and saved so many others. Centurion had heard enough about Jesus to recognize something special about Jesus. He had enough knowledge about who Jesus was to call Jesus Lord. I want you to think about this for a minute. You have a Roman centurion whose Lord is Caesar. He approaches a Jewish man who is under the authority of Rome and calls him Lord. So the centurion had a faith that led him to recognize the lordship of Jesus. And this caused him to come to Jesus for help and to embrace a second truth about Jesus. And that's the second truth we learn about the uh, 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 saving faith in Jesus. A saving faith recognizes the authority of Jesus. Now notice Jesus' immediate response to the faith of the centurion. In Matthew 8, 7, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Jesus always responds to those who humbly come to him in faith and seek his help for healing, for salvation. But notice in Matthew 8, 8, what the centurion says in response to Jesus' offer to come and heal his servant. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, the humble statement of this centurion shows us so much about who he was. Though he was a commander of the Roman army, and though from a human perspective, he had authority over the Jews, and therefore he had authority over Jesus, well, the centurion recognized he was in the position of an unworthy servant in the presence of the Lord Jesus. He recognized that Jesus had a higher authority and a greater power than he had. But there's also another reason the centurion said he was not worthy for Jesus to come under his roof, his roof. It's because in the days of Jesus, it was against Jewish law for Jews to go into the homes of non-Jewish people. So their, their homes were considered unclean. Now, Jews could have contact with Gentiles in public, and non-Jews were also welcome in the Jewish synagogues. And in fact, in Luke 7, 4 through 5, Luke gives us an interesting detail about the centurion in today's story. He says, when the Jewish elders came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, he is worthy for you to do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built our synagogue for us. See, all this information shows us that the centurion that approached Jesus this day was what the Jews would call a God-fearer. These were non-Jewish people who participated in Jewish religious life, and they loved the Jewish religion. They lived righteous lives. They gave generously to the poor and prayed to God daily, but they would not become full-fledged Jews. Why? Because they did not want to submit themselves to the cruelest cut of all. They refused to be circumcised, the cruelest cut of all. The cruelest cut of all. <laughs> So although the centurion who approached Jesus was a God-fearer, and although he built the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum, 
it was still against Jewish law for Jesus to go into his home because his home was considered unclean. But when Jesus immediately responded to this non-Jewish centurion's request with the words, I will come and heal him, well, Jesus was showing what he later made abundantly clear to Peter in Acts 10, 28. Talking to another Gentile centurion, and a God-fear named Cornelius, talking to him in his household, Peter says this, you yourselves know how it is an unlawful thing for a man who is a, who is a Jew to join himself or come to one of another nation, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man unholy or unclean. See, before this scene in Cornelius' house, Jesus had already shown Peter that no man or woman who's seeking to serve God, whether Jew or non-Jew, no one should be regarded as unholy or unclean. See, Jesus came to break down that middle wall that separated Jew from Gentile. And he ultimately did that through his cross and his resurrection, where he created one new humanity in himself in the church. But as we see in the story of the centurion, Jesus began to break down that wall even before the cross. And we see this theme over and over in Matthew's gospel. Although Jesus was initially sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Jesus was willing to come and heal, to come and save all who would come to him in faith. And here's a word we all need to hear from the Lord Jesus today. Jesus is still speaking those same words to all who are willing, to all who will come to Jesus in faith. Jesus still says, I will come and heal you. I will come and save you from sin. I will save you from Satan, save you from demons and death. Jesus is willing to come to all of us if we're willing to come to him in faith and seek him for healing. Now, Matthew goes on to show us something very important about the centurion's faith. His faith was not a blind faith. His faith was reasonable. And it was his reasoning that led him to faith in Jesus. So the centurion reasoned like this. The centurion had authority over those who were under his command. And the people under his command did whatever the centurion told them to do. And they obeyed his command, even if the centurion spoke the command from a distance. If he said go, they would go. If he said come, they would come. And if he commanded his servant to do something, well, they would do it. So the centurion reasoned, if he had that kind of authority then surely this man who had proven he had authority from God, surely Jesus had authority over the life of his servant. Surely his servant would be healed at the command of the sovereign Lord who has authority over everything. So in Matthew 8, 8, the centurion says to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. See, the centurion had faith that Jesus had authority to simply speak and his servant would be healed. But what about us? Do we have this kind of faith in the authority, the power of Jesus? Do we understand that with one simple word from his mouth is all it takes to heal any and every sickness, any and every disease, any and everything that torments and paralyzes us? Do we understand the tremendous authority Jesus has over everything? And here's a much tougher question. Are we willing to pray to the Lord like the centurion did? Lord, just say the word and I will be healed. Lord, just say the word and my son or daughter will be healed. Lord, just say the word and whatever power, whatever addiction, whatever sin has paralyzed and tormented me will be healed. 
And are we willing to keep coming to Jesus until he gives us the help that we need? So that's the kind of faith the centurion had. He had faith in the lordship and the authority of Jesus to save his servant. And in Matthew 8.10, Matthew tells us the result of this faith. And that's the third truth we learn about a saving faith in Jesus. A saving faith is rewarded by Jesus. So notice Jesus' response to the centurion in Matthew 8.10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Most certainly I tell you, I haven't found so great a faith, not even in Israel. So the words of this non-Jewish centurion called Jesus to mar- caused Jesus to marvel. And the word marvel comes from a Greek word that means to wonder, to be astonished at, or to be amazed at something. That word is normally used in the Gospels to describe how people marvel at some supernatural thing that Jesus does. But here, Matthew says the Lord Jesus marveled. And what did Jesus marvel at? He marveled at the faith of the centurion. And what's even more amazing is Jesus said he not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Jesus is saying the people who had the Scriptures, the people who had the temple, the people who were supposed to be the representatives of God God on this earth, well, none of them had the kind of faith that this Gentile centurion had. So what is it that makes the centurion's faith so great? What kind of faith makes the Lord Jesus marvel? What's the kind of faith that recognizes who Jesus is and trusts without question that he can and will save us if we come to him for help. Now, we need to understand that this faith is a faith in Jesus. It's not faith in our faith or faith in something or some other nonsense that TV preachers like to come up with. I heard a guy one day say, you got to have faith in your faith. Utter nonsense. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in a person. See, the centurion had faith in someone the one whom he recognizes, the Lord. And because the centurion had faith that Jesus was the Lord, well, he also had faith that Jesus had authority over everything. And that meant that Jesus had authority over whatever the sickness was that had tormented his servant. And notice in verse 13 how Jesus rewarded the centurion's faith. Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Let it be done for you as you have believed. There's always a great reward for those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus rewarded this man's faith with the help that he asked for. And you see this over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. As you believe, let it be done to you. Over and over again, as you believed in me and as you asked for my help, I will give you what you're asking for. Jesus rewarded this man's faith with the help he asked for. Jesus said, because of your faith in me, your request is granted. And I didn't, I didn't want to use the word granted, but I couldn't think of anything else. Granted almost sounds like a, your wish is granted. That's not what we're talking about. He's not a genie. He's the Lord Jesus. So anyway, you're, you, you got what you asked for, is basically what Jesus is saying to him. Matthew goes on to say, his servant was healed in that hour. So just 10 verses before the one Matthew, before the one we just read, Matthew told us that Jesus immediately healed a leper by speaking the words, be made clean. Now Jesus speaks again, and the centurion's servant is healed in that hour. And this showed the centurion, and it shows us that the centurion was right to have faith in the lordship of Jesus. He was right to have faith in the authority of Jesus. Because this faith in Jesus that made Jesus marvel 
calls Jesus to reward that faith by healing the centurion's servant. See, Jesus' miracles of healing prove to everyone who's looking and listening that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of the living God, our Lord and our Savior. Now, there are only two times in the Bible where Jesus marveled at something. We just talked about one, and we read about the second time Jesus marveled in Mark 6, 4 through 6. Jesus said to the people of his hometown, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. So Mark says Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And it's the same Greek word that we read back in Matthew 8.10. So just like Jesus was amazed at the non-Jewish centurion's faith in him, well, Jesus was equally amazed at the unreasonable unbelief of the Jewish people in his hometown of Nazareth. See, both the centurion and the people in Jesus' hometown, well, they had the same information about Jesus. Both, had, both of them had every reason to believe in the lordship and the authority of Jesus. Both had heard the miracles Jesus performed and saw the miracles that Jesus performed, the sickness and the torments that Jesus cured, and the demons Jesus had driven out. Just like the centurion, the people in Jesus' hometown recognize something special about Jesus. And we know this because in Mark 6, 2, Mark tells us they were asking this about Jesus. Where did this man get these things? And what is the wisdom that is given to this man that such mighty works come about by his hands? See, his hometown had the same information about Jesus the centurion had. And they recognized he had extraordinary wisdom and extraordinary authority, extraordinary power. But unlike the centurion, they did not allow the information they had about Jesus to motivate them to have faith in Jesus. Instead, they were offended by Jesus, they rejected Jesus, and Jesus just marveled at their unbelief. And we've all got a choice to make. Which one of those types of people are we going to be? We've heard about some of the many miracles Jesus did the things which prove his lordship and his authority. And if you want to hear more and read more about it, just go read the Gospels. Try to read those all the way through this week and see all the miracles that Jesus did, the things which prove his lordship and his authority. We've heard that Jesus can heal every disease, every sickness, every sin that torments us. We've seen that Jesus can heal people simply by speaking the word. So we all need to ask ourselves this question. Which type of person am I? Am I among those who make Jesus marvel because of my faith in him? Or am I among those who make Jesus marvel because of my unbelief? We need to be sure we're in the group that has a faith in Jesus, that recognizes his lordship and his authority. Why is this? Because that's the type of faith that's rewarded by the Lord Jesus. And how does Jesus reward our faith in him? Well, over and over in the gospel, we see Jesus physically heals and physically saves those who have faith in him. But there's so much more to this than physical healing. Because both Matthew and Luke connect the faith of the centurion with spiritual healing. And in this way, the centurion is a model for all who will be saved. And a model of how they will be saved. So that brings us to the fourth truth we learn about a saving faith in Jesus. Jesus receives those who have a saving faith in him. 
Notice Jesus' words in Matthew 8, 11. Jesus says, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this may not have, seem like it has anything to do with what's going on in this story, but what Jesus is talking about here is the messianic feast in the kingdom of God in the age to come. And at that feast, we're all going to celebrate the reign of King Jesus in his father's kingdom. And the context here makes it clear that those who sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven are those who have a faith like the centurion, those who recognize the lordship and the authority of Jesus and are rewarded and received by Jesus. And this does not mean that if we don't see a miracle of physical healing, that we don't have this kind of faith in Jesus. Sure, we should believe Jesus still heals physical sickness today. I'm sure we could have a lot of people stand up and testify, the Lord has healed me. He's done these things. But we also have people who can stand up and testify, the Lord did not heal a person that I prayed for, right? We should believe that Jesus still heals physical sickness today, and we should pray for everyone who is sick and expect Jesus to heal them. But physical healing is not Matthew's emphasis. See, we're in a section of his gospel where Matthew describes the miracles of Jesus to prove to us that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed king of God's heavenly kingdom. See, Jesus could, he said he had authority to forgive sin on the earth. And so the Pharisees and scribes, you can't, who can forgive sin but God alone? So Jesus said, I'll, I'll prove to you that I have authority to forgive sin by healing this person's body. So the healing miracles, physical miracles of Jesus are given to us to show us that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He has authority on earth to forgive sin. So the miracles that Matthew shows us are to show us that Jesus is the, the anointed king, God's Messiah, the king of God's heavenly kingdom. And Matthew does this so that we'll trust in Jesus as our king and so that we'll obey Jesus as our king. Why? So we can be saved from Satan and sin, from demons and death, and inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus' miracles point to. This is the guy you've all been looking for. You have to Submit to him as your king in order to have this inheritance that we talk about in the kingdom. So Jesus uses the centurion as a model of the kind of faith that gets a person into the kingdom of heaven. The kind of faith that saves us spiritually is the same kind of faith the centurion had. The kind of faith that recognizes we're powerless to save ourselves from our enemies, powerless to save ourselves from the sickness and diseases that torment and paralyze us. And it's the kind of faith that Causes us to come to Jesus and believe Jesus is who his miracles prove him to be. It's the kind of faith that causes us to come to Jesus and say, I believe in your lordship and I believe in your authority. And because you're the Lord, I submit to you as my Lord. And because I believe in your authority, I trust you to heal me, to save me from the things that have power over me. The things that torment me and paralyze me and lead me into death. Just say the word, and I'll be healed from my sins. Just say the words, and the chains of my addiction will be broken. Just say the word, and Satan and sin and demons and death will no longer have power in my life. Jesus says there are going to be people who come from all over the world, from east and west, who will have that kind of faith. And they'll come and sit down at the Messianic feast with the Lord and the three fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is the same feast that we read about in Isaiah 25, 6, where the scriptures say, In this mountain, Yahweh of armies will make all peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of choice wines, 
of choice meat full of marrow, of well-refined choice wine. Talked a lot about that wine, it's going to be at that feast. Both Isaiah and Jesus say this feast is for all people, for every nation, from east and west, people are going to come down and come and sit down at this feast. Jesus said, all who have the kind of faith the centurion had will be at that feast. Now, in Jesus' day, all the Jews were looking forward to that feast, and they all thought that they were guaranteed a spot at that feast in the kingdom because they were physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jesus goes on to say something that would have been very shocking to the Jews, and that brings us to the fifth and final truth we learn about a saving faith in Jesus. Jesus rejects those who do not have a saving faith in him. In Matthew 8, 12, after Jesus says people from all nations will take part in the messianic feast in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, but the children of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The children of the kingdom here are the Jewish people, the original recipients of the kingdom of heaven. See, they thought they were all entitled to a place in the kingdom of heaven because they were Jewish. But Jesus rebuked those in Israel who were resting on their heritage to get them into the kingdom of heaven. He rebuked them because they were unwilling to come to Jesus in faith like the centurion did. They did not have faith that Jesus was their king because Jesus did not fit the description of what they thought the Messiah would look like. So they would not recognize the lordship and authority of Jesus. They reject Jesus as their Messiah, so the Lord Jesus rejects them. And Jesus tells them they'll be thrown into the outer darkness, into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about what many call hell, but what is more correctly called Guyenna. Guyenna means the valley of Hinnom. And it was the valley on the southwest, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. And this valley had a long history of being a place where people sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire to false gods. As the Lord says in Jeremiah 7, 31 to 32, they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I, did not, I didn't command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that it will no more be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth until there is no place to bury. Now, Isaiah tells us more about this place and the events Jeremiah describes in Isaiah 66, 24. And there the Lord says, they will go out and look at the dead bodies of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Now, Jesus tells us more about this place and the events that Jeremiah and Isaiah described in Matthew 13, 41 to 43. But talking about the end of the age, Jesus says, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that cause stumbling, and those who are lawbreakers. The word here is iniquity, but that's what the word iniquity means. You, you are a lawbreaker. He's going to gather out all things that cause stumbling and those who are lawbreakers and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is Guyenna, 
the valley of Hinnom, the furnace of fire that will never be quenched. That's the place for all lawbreakers. That's the place for the unrighteous, for people who do not obey the commands of King Jesus. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace in the valley of Hinnom. You know, the way some people talk, Jesus was all flower petals and puppy dogs. He only talked about God's love. Isn't that what we get the impression? Well, that's just not true, though. It's not true. The truth is, Jesus talked about Guiana more than any other person in the Scriptures. And you can go test me on it. Go read it and see, see if I'm right. He talked about Guiana more than anybody. Why would he do that? Well, it's because Jesus loves humanity. This is where we can talk about the love of Jesus or the love of God. Because he loves humanity, he does not want any of us to end up there. So he gives us warning after warning. He tells us the truth because he doesn't want us to go to this dreadful place of darkness, the terrible place of torment, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, I don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. And you don't want to go there, whether you realize it or not. You don't want to go there. So we must do what it takes to avoid going there. And what it takes to avoid going to this dreadful place is we must have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus. So as we close, let's ask ourselves, do we have a saving faith in Jesus? Do we have faith in the Lordship and the authority of Jesus? A faith that causes us to keep coming to Jesus for healing from sin and from Satan, from demons and death. So we've got to be sure that we have this kind of faith because Jesus rewards and receives everyone who has this kind of faith in him. This is saving faith in him. But Jesus rejects everyone who does not have a saving faith in him. So we must believe Jesus is Lord, and we must behave as if we believe he's our Lord. And what that means is we got to keep his commandments. Uh, At the end of Matthew, Matthew tells us, people always want to know what the vision of the church is. What's, What's the vision for the church? The vision of the church is what Jesus says at the end of Matthew. He tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what does he say next? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If we as a church aren't doing that, then we're not doing what Jesus told us to do. We're to go teach people how to obey Christ's commands. Because only those who obey his commands make it into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know that sounds like heresy in the culture that we come through that misunderstands grace and thinks grace covers up everything. And so we don't have to obey the Lord. That's not what the scriptures teach. And people who teach that are false teachers that should be avoided. And you guys can probably tell over the last uh, few months that I've, I've grown very weary of false teachers, very weary of the things that they tell people because I see the damage that they do in people's lives. They tear people's lives apart, and people love these guys as heroes. They're not heroes. They're people we should avoid and we should speak against them because if we don't obey the Lord Jesus, we're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And this is where grace comes in. It is God's grace that enables us to obey the commands of the Lord Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus who miraculously gives us new birth and enables us to obey his commandments. And if we're not among those people, we're not going to make it. We won't be sitting at the, at the feast with the Lord. What I'm describing here, that's the faith that King Jesus wants from all of us. That's the faith that will have us sitting at the Messianic feast, sipping Chardonnay from golden goblets with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. See, that's a saving faith in Jesus. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for showing us the truth about who Jesus is through your word. Lord, help us all to have the kind of faith the centurion had, a faith that recognizes the lordship 
and the authority of your divine human son, and a faith that causes us to keep coming to him for healing of both the physical and spiritual sicknesses that torment and paralyze us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're going to sing a final song. As they do that, you're welcome to come forward. If you are talking about sickness and healing and all those things, if you want to come forward, we'll pray for you. The scriptures tell us if we're sick, we call for the elders of the church, and the prayer offered in faith makes sick people well. There's also something connected to that. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So if there's something you need to confess, something you need to get out, uh, we invite you to come forward. We'll pray, for, we'll pray over you, and then we'll believe that the Lord will heal you from that. Um, also, if you just want to pray about anything at all, you're welcome to come by yourself and just kneel down, or you can pray at your seat, whatever it is. If you have a question about anything I've said today, I'll be available to, to answer those questions after the service. If you don't know how to become a part of the kingdom of heaven, I want to talk to you about that too. So please see me after the service for that. So they're going to sing a final song. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Just want to see.